Hey there, everybody. It's Alex from Forever Classic Games. Fair warning with this episode, there is some pretty harsh language towards about the middle. If you're offended by that kind of thing, maybe skip over the segment where we're talking about some of the first games that our guest actually put to cartridge. Either way, enjoy today's episode. To the Forever Classic Podcast, the show seeking enlightenment through video games, films, and other geek culture. I'm Alex McCumbers. Here with me today is, of course, the not director of many DC films, Zachary Snyder. How's everybody today? And we also have a super cool guest with us who creates games on the NES of all things. Kevin, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey guys, I'm uh, Kevin. I run KevBot's Homebrew Highlights. We focus on original Nintendo homebrews, and we're actually releasing Candelabra Stasero. It's the uh, first NES homebrew dungeon crawler to hit the market. Programmed by Sly Dog Studios and published by us, so pretty cool. I think it's very cool. I am a huge fan of games and game design from all angles, whether it's somebody making a game in 20 minutes for a game jam or somebody that's got a bunch of friends together to work on it, or a whole studio that's making it. I think game design is really fascinating, and I love seeing different approaches to it. So tell me about how many people you have with you making NES games and kind of how this all came about. Well, you know, a lot of times it's a big collaboration of people. You'll have some people doing graphics, some people doing the music, and then people doing the programming, people doing the publishing. For games like Candelabra Estacero, it actually was already completely done by the time I acquired it. Uh, it's been a project that Rob over at Sly Dog Studios has been working on for a long time. I ended up purchasing publishing rights for it. And then we have people like Bo from Soul Goose Productions. He's helping with getting the boards for it. We're using GT ROM boards, which is a Membler Industries product. And then we're getting brand new shells for it. Frank Westpaul, he's Riz kind of in the homebrew community. He released Arm for Battle. He helps organize like printed box manual label stuff. So we're going through him for all that stuff. It's a lot of collaboration, a lot of meetups, a lot of beta testing to make sure everything works. We joke around with each other, calling each other's games bug fests because... In the early stages, that's about exactly what they are. <laughs> Retro gaming has been something that I've been... I don't know when it started, actually, because I've always played stuff that I've had for a long time, because I rarely get rid of a console. But I think in... 
I don't know, maybe early college, about five or six years ago, I really got into the idea of learning about retro games and stuff that I may have missed out on. Yeah, I'm right there in the same boat as you were. I I grew up, I'm a 90s kid, born in 92, grew up with an N64. I I was a spoiled kid. I wanted the clear red N64, and I got it, (laughs) and I still have it. I had it because the local game store wouldn't take it when I traded in all my other games because there's like a non-broken piece on it. But I've still got that. And then about high school, started picking up some more things for that. And I was going to garage sales a lot in high school, buying stuff at garage sales, selling it on you know Craigslist or whatever at the time. Started picking up NES. And that, that's kind of where I started actually collecting. And well, it's kind of led up to where we are today, really. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I grew up with the NES. I was also born in the 90s, 91. But my family had an NES and we didn't really move forward much. And I remember, I think it wasn't until I was five or six years old that I got a Super Nintendo. And so that kind of like progressed in that fashion. Like I kind of got the game system maybe a year or two after it had come out. I think I had gotten the N64 shortly after release though, because I got Smash Brothers with it and there was only five or six games available at the time. I'd say that was pretty early in the 64 run then. Yeah. I just remember being like, wow, games are $60? That's crazy, because I like had always been going to garage sales and pawn shops. Right. Yeah, NES and Super Games, when the 64 came out, they were, they were nothing. Yeah, I know we've talked about a lot of mine and Zach's childhood in our one episode that kind of talks about why we enjoy games so much and kind of our personal history. But Zach, do you have a whole lot of like nostalgia for the NES? I honestly didn't play many games until I was probably into middle school. I think I had an old giant gray brick of a Game Boy. Yeah. That's where most of my retro stuff comes from because I had a Super Nintendo, but I only think I had like three games for it ever. I was kept pretty busy as a kid. But yeah, no, I like as far as my like retro-y playing, I think the only thing I've done major like highlight is that I reset Tetris once. Oh, sick. (laughs) That's lot better than I am. <laughs> that's, that's about my highlight of everything. But I enjoy playing pretty much any of them. Like now, Alex actually got me into most of it in college. Yeah, there's something about games of the past, that, especially on the NES and Super Nintendo, I think. There's games that'll hold up forever. As long as they're playable, they will hold up. And that's what excites me most about people making games for the NES or the Dreamcast or the Super Nintendo, is that it keeps these consoles alive. People are like, wow, I love my little Nintendo, and I can also pick up this sweet new dungeon crawler, get it physical, pop it in the console, and have a rip-roar in time. Or you can pop it into your, like, analog NT or your, like, Retrons or whatever. It's super cool. A lot of the clone consoles actually are run like an emulator. They read the address line of a game and then emulate that game. They don't actually run physical hardware, or a lot of times they won't run unlicensed games because they don't recognize the address line. Right. Or if you had Mario and you changed Mario to you know, a Ninja Turtle or whatever, you hacked the game, a lot of times those clone consoles won't play the new hack, even though it's ripped onto a cartridge because it reads the address line as Mario, and then you don't get to play any of the cool hacks. A lot of times, and actually, Candelabra Estosra won't play on a lot of third-party consoles like the Retro Duos, the Retrons. You need something like an original Nintendo, Nintendo Top Loader. An analog NT Mini uh, will run it, but a standard analog NT will not because that's emulator-based also. And a Retro USB AVS will run it because that is actually running actual hardware. Now, have you guys experimented with trying to get it going on flashcards? Actually, it will run on a flashcard, like a Power Pack, or I have a power pack. What's the other one? There's a bunch of them you can get, yeah. 
Yeah. And for those that are unaware of what a flashcard is, is a flashcard is a cartridge that usually has some sort of SD slot in the top of it. And so you load your ROMs and hacks and translations or whatever onto the SD card, throw it in your thing, and then you can basically pick from a long list menu on your actual physical hardware. If you're into homebrews and hacks, I recommend getting a flashcart because it's just super cool. I have, I think, a couple. I have one for the DS, one for the Game Boy Advance, and I would love to have more. But that's, like, one of the first things I try to get whenever I'm, like, really interested in the entire library of a system is I'll try to pick up a flashcart just for convenience sake and to also play some of those translations and play some of those sweet ROM hacks. Yeah, they're convenient. Uh, I know we do a lot of beta testing on EverDrive was the other one, the EverDrive N8. We test a lot of our games on that because it just makes more sense than physically ripping onto EEPROMs, soldering them onto a board, and then hoping that it works. You know, uh, On a lot of those flashcards, we can put the program onto the flashcard, onto the SD card, or uh, a CF card is what's used in a power pack, and then just plug it in your system and go. And if something's wrong, usually you can decipher... That a lot of times those flashcards fix bugs also, like initiation issues. Oh, okay, yeah. Kind of a, if it's not programmed perfectly right, sometimes it'll work in a flashcard, but it won't work on an actual board, which is interesting. A lot of, a lot of techie stuff there that even I don't understand a lot of. Now, do you know if they've started switching over to the NES Maker software, or is this all like proprietary stuff they're just hard coding? This is all hard-coded through assembly. Okay. Rob's actually been working on this game since like 2013. Wow. So he, he's been working on it for quite a while. A lot of games like... And nothing is bad about NES Maker. Uh, I actually... I bought it just to kind of fiddle around and play around with. Yeah. But a lot of the real big in-depth games that you're seeing come out like Tim and Greg's Halloween 85 and 86 and Full Quiet. They're all programmed on that 6502 assembly program. They utilize like Notepad, Pixel Edit, Famitracker, and a lot of in-house tools to develop and produce the games. Nestmaker is a great tool for learning the basics and putting your ideas on a ROM and on a potentially on a cartridge. I don't know if the advancement in Nestmaker has been, and advancement's probably not even the right term. I don't know if a lot of people know the extent of what NES Maker could be used for or how to use NES Maker to make some of these more in-depth games. Yeah, because at the end of the day, a lot of the homebrewers are doing stuff that Nintendo never thought of. Right. And that's where you see these like jumps in quality from game to game. I mean, if you look at games like Micromages, that was recently funded on Kickstarter and they've been pro- posting updates, but th- that entire game runs on Enrom, which is really not that big of a board but it's just programmed so perfectly that it'll it'll run on that it's, it's crazy and, and they show you how they do it too that's awesome yeah it's crazy and hardware's changing every day we're using gt rom or it's called the goat rom for estasero it's made by membler industries and he does all sorts of tech and advancements like that. It, I don't think even Joe or Membler knows the, all the possibilities that could happen with, with his board. Uh, I know it's crazy. Like you could double the graphics 
or just double the quality it and and the systems will they'll handle it they're learning new things every day i think in another 20 30 years we're gonna see some truly incredible stuff on the nes i mean we're already seeing some sweet stuff but i i hope that it continues and then we continue to see that work towards something even better yeah it'll be crazy to see how things advance from here yeah because you know homebrew gaming isn't especially for the nes really isn't all that popular Oh, no. In the big picture. I mean, you get indie dev guys making stuff for PC all day, every day. There's not a lot of people doing stuff for the NES. And actually, I'm, I'm a car guy. And one of my buddies, actually Bo from Soldiers Productions, explained it to me like this. He said, you know, homebrew NES gaming is comparable to like hot rotting of cars in the 30s and 40s he said you know people were doing it back then wasn't the most popular thing in the world but you look at it now and it's like wow this this is really cool if you try and find some of the old hot rod parts and and cars from the 30s and 40s you just can't and he thinks that homebrew nes gaming is is going to go in the same direction as that Oh, that's a pretty good comparison. It is, and it made sense to me. (laughs) Right. Now, Zach, have you actually spent a lot of time with homebrews? Because I know I got into ROM hacking specifically with uh, the Game Boy Advance. I was playing a lot of the translated games and stuff specifically. I saw lots of it. A lot of my friends when I was growing up, we weren't super tech savvy with like ROM hacks or doing any kind of homebrewing on things. We did find a lot of these files. Most of them were done via emulator on a PC somewhere. We didn't have very good ones, so we, we didn't get into anything super fancy. A lot of them were fighting games. It's one of the things that like EJ and Travis and them liked when we were younger. And it was just mainly adding in new sprites of characters here and there in games that they didn't really belong in. Uh, it's probably Mugen. We did do a lot of Mugen. Yeah. We loved that. Having Ronald McDonald fight a great white shark was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the first, like, customizable games I can remember messing with. Because I was playing around with emulation around that same time. And I keep finding videos of, like, again, crazy fighting game characters that have no business being in the same game, like, kicking the shit out of each other. So I was like, you know what? I want to try that. I was like, I'm going to put in a character myself and found out that is a lot harder than it sounds. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Making a fighting game even in Mugen is, like... Ridiculous. <laughs> I still remember our buddy Tom. He added the sprite guy from uh, Contra. Oh, nice. That was the biggest son of a bitch to ever fight. Because he was so <laughs> tiny and his gun would upgrade as he did damage like you were picking up power-ups. Oh, cool. <laughs> Contra is coming to the Switch here soon. Did you see that? Oh, no, actually I did see an announcement on that. Yeah, Konami are doing little packs. They're doing a Castlevania one, a shooter-like arcade one, and then a Contra one. Good, they should. That'll be awesome. I really hope they bring back those WiiWare-specific games, the, like, Rebirth titles. There's two or three of those that are actually, like, really good in Castlevania and Contra, and maybe there might be another one, too. But I hope those get added to that short list. There's going to be, like, ten games, I think. Now, random question, because I never thought about this game in years. Is Operation C and Contra the same thing? possibly (laughs) possibly (laughs) i'm not familiar with operation c i remember playing that when i was younger one of my friends who was not a gamer him and his cousin were basically like brothers they weren't into games very much but he was into killer instinct legend of dragoon and operation c legend of dragoon Uh, but operation c a quick Google search has revealed to me that it was actually released as Contra in Japan. So yeah, it's just a localized name, which is stupid because like I think by then we had Contra on the NES. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's that was my first introduction to it. I didn't even know they were the same game. I forgot all about it for years. Yeah, so that that leads me to an interesting question then, Kevin, just for insight's sakes, is what are the sort of games that, like, inspire you, and what are some of your favorites? Ooh, what are some of my favorite games? I really like Smash TV. Smash TV is probably one of my favorite games. I, I like the run and shoot. And actually, you can use the dual NES controller for that one, too, using both D-pads shooting in one direction and running with the other direction. Really? Yeah. Yep. And here I thought this was something completely unique to your guys' game. Huh, that's awesome. <laughs> Actually, it's crazy. If you search Spookatron, it's a Soul Goose Productions release. It's a port of Robotron 2084 uh-huh. for the arcade. It's a dual stick shooter, kind of like Smash TV. And it, you can also use a modified Virtual Boy controller for that game also because it has hmm. the dual D-pads. So it, it's not a new thing per se. It's just a you, really cool thing. <laughs> it, it is. It is. The battle system, the gameplay, the maze navigation, all of that stuff's what, what's really unique about Estacero. You know, you, you have three characters, and if you're holding your two controllers, the direction of each D-pad correlates with each character. So, you know, the left D-pad on both controllers controls either attacking or blocking with Han, the first character. The down is Heckle, and then you know, the right D-pad direction on both controllers is Hubs and battle system you're attacking and defending simultaneously with the enemies it's not like a turn-based game yeah initially when i was looking at it i thought oh this looks pretty similar to a lot of those dungeon crawlers that i've played on the vita but then you get into it and it's like oh there's a whole different subset of situations going on within the combat yeah yeah you've got your attacking defending and then there's like a cooldown between each action where you can't do either that's where it gets tricky because you you can get run over pretty quick if you're not careful and it's good to formulate a strategy i know when i'm going into a battle on that game i'll figure out which of the enemies because each enemy attacks in a different pattern at different speed so i'll figure out which enemies attacks the most often and the fastest and, and try and knock that one out first Right on. But yeah, so Smash TV is something that you really enjoy then. Yep. I like Smash TV. That's a good one. Rampart. I don't know why I like Rampart. Probably because you're building walls around a fortress. And both of those are NES games, yeah? Yeah. I've heard of Smash TV. I've just never played it. Oh, really? Oh, man, you're missing out. (laughs) You are. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, most of the games I play now are are NES games. I mean, growing up, I played quite a few racing games also, which sometimes I hate to admit, but I did. Flat Out 2 was the best, probably still is the best PS2 game ever to be released. It's one of the few I've still got. Yeah, I don't know. Non-traditional gamer favorites there, I guess. I liked Zelda, but I didn't like Zelda until Majora's Mask. Okay, yeah which also not a real popular opinion. I liked Contra. Contra was fun. I wasn't very good at it, but that was enjoyable. Mario's were fun. The problem I had with Mario is once I figured out all the tricks and that I could run through the entire game in 10 minutes, that's what I did every time. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So after that, it was like, oh, yeah, I remember this level. And then I remember that two levels ago, I could have skipped this level and gone to World 5. <laughs> The platformers is definitely where I kind of learned to play on. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, I'm into just about everything. Aside from racing, sports, and really strategy are the, like, the three genres I avoid. Mm, I love strategy, though. Yeah, strategy. Strategy is good. If, if you guys get a chance to play Armed for Battle, it's a real-time strategy for the NES. Yeah. Frank released that. Shoot, that was years ago now at this point. Probably 2015. But it's a real-time strategy. It plays kind of like a uh, like a Warcraft or Starcraft, 
Okay. Where, where you're building your armies, building your defenses, upgrading your troops, and kind of discovering this land to find the, the boss or the, the castle that you're attacking to pass the level. Now, I do like turn-based strategy games like Fire Emblems, Final Fantasy Tactics, Shining Force. I love all of those. Those are super cool. But I'm never really into the real-time strategy, hardly. But I do enjoy StarCraft a little bit, and I did have a lot of fun with one of the Command & Conquers. I didn't play a lot of Command & Conquers. I liked it because the sprites were really cool. That's the only thing I remember about it. It was one of the red alerts, I think. I love sprite work. Do you? <laughs> I'm always on the lookout for, like, sweet pixel art. Which is why nowadays, if you look at my Switch, I have, like, Owlboy, Axiom Verge. <laughs> a lot of the pixel-heavy ones. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, something about it. It just, it's timeless. It's such a timeless style. Sitting here, I've been going through this list while we've been talking about just old retro set games, just old games in general. And I forgot about Paperboy. I played the hell out of that when I was younger. <laughs> I hated <And> Paperboy. <laughs> <laughs> I could never beat it. I've always loved challenging myself, and I could just never finish. There's and a VR one. There's game. a VR Paperboy? Yeah, I forget what it's called, but somebody somewhere is making a VR Paperboy, and it's just as ridiculous as it sounds. <laughs> oh, man, I, I hope you can throw it at people when through car windows and home windows. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was my favorite part of the original one. <laughs> purposely aim for windows i was a terrible kid there's this old game called battle zone as well i'm not familiar with battle zone from 1980 it looks kind of like you it's really bland but it's just like a tank battle game oh yeah yeah i think battle tank for the 64 ended up being based on battle zone actually they may have even released a battle zone for the 64 apparently there's a ps4 version really battle zone gold whatever that is <laughs> i would assume that's a little more advanced than the ah, they're comparable i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> same controls oh i see what you're talking about with like the vector based graphics yes yeah, apparently this PS4 game that we're that's based off this has a skin that turns it into the vector-based graphics. That's sick. I kind of want to play this now. I wonder if there's a PSVR mode. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that being one of the very first games that like I played played and just had no idea what I was doing. I just played it. I think that there's something to that, right? Like, when you're younger, you're just kind of fucking around. Like, you're, there's no real goal or anything. I remember loading up Mario and just, like, running and thinking it was the greatest thing ever. Yeah, yeah. Really, that's about how it is. Grand Theft Auto is the best for that. <laughs> I didn't play the old Grand Theft Autos till, like, 2011. Oh, yeah, I played them way after the 3D ones came out. Oh, really? Oh, man. I think I got Vice City when it came out. I beat it, like, three times and then went back and played Grand Theft Auto. I worked my way backwards first, and then San Andreas came out and played the crap out of that. <clears throat> then after that, the PS3. Actually, that was the main reason I bought a PS3. Still got that boat anchor. Hasn't been turned on in a few years, though. Boat anchor. That's the one that I use constantly because it plays PS2 games. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. That's... <laughs> I have a PS2 anymore, but I, I got that Flat Out 2 game, you, you betcha. <laughs> <laughs> I love Onimusha now. Onimusha is freaking sick. Yeah, I liked Onimusha too. Actually, I think they ended up making three or four of those. There are, I just did a video on this, not counting re-releases and ports, there is six games? Onimusha 1, 2, 3, 4, Blade Warriors, and Tactics. And there might be one that I'm missing somewhere in the middle. But yeah, those are the main six. Because after I, I found them stupid cheap at like a video game store in West Virginia. 
You still and, can. Yeah, yeah. They're like less than $20 a piece. And I like all three of them were there and they were in pristine condition. And I'm like, I've heard about these games. I remember reading the manuals of these when I was a kid. I'll pick them up. I shelved them for years and finally went through all of them. And they are some of my favorite games on the PS2 now. They're incredible. So after that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to collect every single Onimusha game, every port, everything I can get uh, like my hands on. And that's been fun because there's only like 12 games and none of them are expensive. Yeah, it's part that tripped me up about that first one was that you get to a point where you have to, uh, it's like this elevator and it's covered with ghosts and I could not figure out for the life of me that you had to ring the freaking bell. Oh yeah. <laughs> for the for the ghosts to go away. Jesus. It's just such a cool like samurai experience and I didn't realize how much I love samurais until I played through those games again and I was like, holy crap, samurais. Sweet. So that's when the last E3, or the one before, the one with all the samurai games, I was like, ah, cool, another samurai game. And I said that like four times during the show. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very excited to check out Sekido and Ghost of Tsushima, I think is going to be sick. And then Neo 2. Neo 2 is going to be really cool too, hopefully. I'm all about it. Yeah, I mean, who knows, but... I have, I, I still have interest in it. <laughs> so my next question then, Kevin, is like, what is the recommended way to keep up with homebrew? Like, what are your favorite sites to either find games that are being made or, you know, how do you like keep up with it all? Oh man, you know, that's, that's a good question. It's a hard question to answer because there used to be two places to go for keeping track of where NES games are as far as, or NES homebrews are, as far as their development being released. You know, you used to have NES Dev and Nintendo Age. You know, I started on Nintendo Age. A lot of the older guys started on NES Dev, like like Rob started on NES Dev, Membler, Keyhand Games, etc. Yeah. But, you know, now they're just, they're coming out of the woodwork. You, you have guys in the Netherlands who have never been on Nintendo Age or NES Dev, and, and they're, you know, they may use the, oh, what do they call them? Nerdy Knights. Like, it's a subsection of Nintendo Age where it, it kind of goes through like an instruction of how to use assembly to make a game. They may use the Nerdy Knights tutorials without knowing that they're on Nintendo Age, and then all of a sudden they have this complete complex game that nobody has heard of and they're like oh yeah it was on this you know finland forum or or jap actually japanese homebrews for the famicom they're crazy they do a lot of like space shooters and stuff to to my knowledge but it's hard to find one central location to keep an eye out for games that are upcoming i have a biased opinion i I like nintendo age yeah just because that's where my roots are but you know, it's a easy to use forum, easy to keep up with. Uh, a lot of projects end up being either talked about on NA or a lot of times the developers will post their projects on there. Hey, just want to let you guys know that th- this is what's going on. This is where we're at in production. If any of you guys want to check it out, here's a demo. Here's some screenshots. And you, know, you kind of build a following there. But that's about it. And then you have some other companies that don't really use Nintendo Age or any other sites a lot, like uh, Mega Cat Studios. You know, they re- they release quite a few games. I've heard of them. They've released quite a few. I talked to James every now and then. Actually, he ended up one of my with one of my modded Virtual Boy controllers at Magfest because he wanted one, and I wanted this. It's so silly. It's a uh, it's like this kitten game where you want your cat to sit on a certain spot of this power pad for so long to build points or whatever. Anyway. So yeah, I know James and some of the guys over at Mega Cat 
but you know, a lot of their games, you may see them on Kickstarter. I think they just did a more advanced log jammers hmm. version on Kickstarter, probably towards the end of last year, but they have their own site that you, you got to pretty much keep up on as far as any of their releases go. But guys like myself, Kahan Games, Soul Goose Productions, Derek over at Gradual Games, he posts a lot of his stuff on Nintendo Age also. And actually, he's got a game that's going to be coming out probably later this year called Trophy. Uh, it's a platformer that's going to be awesome. I got a chance to play that earlier this year, too. Nice. I know a lot of the times my inspiration comes from a couple different sources. I like to look at speedrun.com for just a lot of stuff, and I'll just see like what has been posted recently. And so I'll find old, obscure games that way a lot of times. And I'll also do the same on Twin Galaxies. If I see a bunch of scores are submitted for something like that I've never heard of, I'll click on it, watch the video, and be like, oh, that's a sweet arcade shooter that I had no idea existed. Yep. Because it's, it's usually these like long names. Yeah, it, it just pops up. And it's so cool because the discoverability of games is like extremely high right now. Mm-hmm. The third place that I like to go is YouTube because I enjoy watching people like Metal Jesus Rocks and John Riggs talk about homebrew, retro stuff, weird, obscure controllers I like to watch. It's just really cool. Lots of really great retro creators on YouTube. I think Kelsey Lewin over at Pink Gorilla Games just reached 100,000 subscribers just like a night or two ago. And that's crazy because she's only been putting out historical videos for, I think, the past like year or so. So if you're into retro stuff, I think find a list of really good retro creators on YouTube is a great place to start. That's where I learned a lot of my information. That's exactly where I learned that the TurboGrafx was a thing. I didn't know TurboGrafx existed at all. And now I'm like, oh, that's sweet. Now if I see one and it's cheap, I'm going to pick that fucker up. <laughs> right. <laughs> I learned about the TurboGrafx by buying one at a yard sale. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what's this weird game system? Uh, it's a dollar. All right, I'll buy it and Google it later. <laughs> yeah, deal. I'll, I'll buy I'll buy I've bought stupider stuff than that for a dollar. What's the dumbest thing you've ever bought as far as, like, gaming equipment goes? The dumbest? Oh, my goodness. Or the weirdest. Like, I'm fascinated by weird controllers and such. I've, You know what? <laughs> I've, I've bought a ton of stuff. I've been collecting for a long time and then started buying and selling a little bit here and there. Buying, like, collections and then piecing them out at expos and stuff. But, man, I'll tell you what. Uh, I bought this big lot of stuff. It might have been the, towards the beginning of last year, and it was a Nintendo bike cop. Uh huh. It, it attaches to like the handlebars of your bicycle, and it makes police noise. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> is that an actual product? It is. I I will send you a picture of it. Actually, Dennis Khan, uh, Super Nest Man, ended up with it because he didn't have one. But yeah. Oh, I see it now. It's a little like dongle looking thing yeah i've actually in that lot i got a boxed one and i got a loose one also i've seen like the quick shot scopes for the zapper guns uh-huh. um, those are cool i never knew those existed for a long time and then i found like three of them within a week funny how that happens i'll learn a word and then i'll notice that word popping up everywhere oh yeah you just overlook it yeah, that's what it is. You're just focused on it or something. I don't know. But like part of me is like, okay, now that I know this word, everybody's saying this word. That's weird. They knew that they could use it now that you knew what it was. Yeah. Am I in a simulation? Are these AI? <laughs> is the world all AI and I'm the only living one here? What if we all just live in James Cameron's avatar and we're unaware? <laughs> God. 
Oh, here's a fun thought experiment that my roommate's been laughing about. I'll, I'll have I'll have Zach do this one because I think it's really funny. Hey, Zach. <clears throat> All right. Name me an Avenger. An Avenger? Yeah, just any Avenger. Any Avenger. Uh, uh-huh. Shit, sorry, that's Justice League. First thought. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Martian Manhunter. Ah, Zach yeah. fails. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, that was actually my first thought. He's probably my favorite. Um, Am I a psychic? The world may never know. I don't know. Let's let's go with Hawkeye. All right, Hawkeye. Cool. Uh, name a Star Wars character. Qui Gon Jinn. This is totally ripped off of a YouTube video, by the way, called The Question Boys. All right, now name me a character from James Cameron's Avatar. I have no idea. <laughs> Kevin, you got anything? <laughs> uh, you know what? You got me on that one. That is the top-grossing film. Period. How do we not know characters from the top-grossing film? How did this happen? <laughs> I mean, I can say some syllables and maybe land on a character's name. Right, yeah, like, I I can picture scenes from that movie and, like, graphical styles and colors and stuff, but that's all I remember of it. I do not remember any sort of plot points or characters. No, I, I remember the plot. I can picture you all the characters. I can't tell you any of their names. Right. That's because it was a graphically heavy film. It wasn't story based per se. Yeah, fascinating how that works. I don't know. It was right at the beginning of like 3D movies when they got really good. So I don't know. I, it's for me the best 3D movie was Legend or no wait, Guardians of Gahul, right? Yeah, the owl one. That was the coolest 3D movie I've ever seen. Uh, you know, honestly, I've only seen a couple movies like in like 3D with the glasses. I don't really like the effect that much myself. I think the one I liked the most was probably was it Alice in Wonderland or Alice in through the Alice through the Looking Glass. One of the two. I really enjoyed the Guardians movie and the Lego movie I also saw in 3D and actually enjoyed it. Most of the time I'll go to a 2D movie, but if it's like the only option is 3D, I'll sit through it anyways. My favorite movie of all time is Jurassic Park. Hmm. So when they came out with the Jurassic Park 3D in theater, it was very short amount of time they had that in theaters for 3D. I think I watched it like four times. Oh, nice. <laughs> awesome, though. I know I'm really, like, kind of into the idea of flying down to Seattle to go see King of the Monsters in IMAX. Mm. Part of me is just like, ooh, that would be worth it. It'd be super worth it. That would be cool. I am so ready for Godzilla. There's lots of sweet movies coming out, and lots of them I've seen here recently. Like, Captain Marvel I thought was pretty good. It's not my favorite Marvel movie by far, but it's it's fun. I like it a lot. I don't think I've seen that one yet. It just came out maybe a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. That could be why. Yeah, back to the NES. What are your thoughts about creation kind of spurred by the limitation of a console? I mean, I see this a lot where some designs don't necessarily come to mind until you're put in that little box, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a tough question because I don't actually do the programming side of things. Right. I think being space and color limited makes you be a little more picky and artistic on what you can and can't include. I think it makes you be a little more selective on the key points of what you want to include in a game to get the same story or idea across. So you, you end up finding pretty complex, uh, I don't want to say screens or uh, sprites and stuff like that, but you end up finding that a lot of the stuff that might typically be drawn out in other platforms is kind of condensed and simplified, which I think is actually kind of nice sometimes. Right. I don't know. It's a tough question. I don't I guess I don't really have a good answer for that one. No, that was that was perfect. It's just an interesting thought process to go through. Yeah. 
Zach, do you have any final questions before we kind of move on to a more rap on topic? Not on that. My understanding of it's pretty low, so I'm just soaking up lots of the information here and enjoying it. <laughs> the NES, I'm telling you, it continues. Oh, are there any thoughts on putting, like, because uh, I know that Retrotainment Games, they have a couple of their games on the Xbox One. Is that something that you guys are going to be pursuing as far as console releases? Um, Probably not. Okay. You know, Retrotainment has this big team of guys that have done some of that work and that are working towards doing a lot of that. I don't want to say I don't want to do that. Right. Or I don't have the desire to do that. But I don't have a lot of the skill, the knowledge. I don't have a lot of the time. I'm a nurse by trade. Okay. Um, so, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm working all the time. But, yeah, it, you know, they're doing a lot through Steam. I, I don't really have any desire to mess with Steam. They're doing a lot through the Xbox One right now. I know when I'm going out to PAX, we're heavily promoting like Halloween 86 on Steam. And then they have a new mode, newer mode for that game. I can't think of what it's like. Rampage mode, I believe. Very cool. Which is going to be really cool. Yeah, let, let's talk about that. I mean, you guys are getting ready to go to PAX East here in the next what week yeah we leave <laughs> well because i'm in indiana Bo or soul goose productions is up in michigan so actually i believe Bo is driving here and then we're gonna carpool to pittsburgh on tuesday night and then wednesday morning we are all getting in tim's truck and driving up to boston nice so it's gonna be a lot of driving so a whole crew of nes designers it is going to be a whole crew well and and, and it's important for people who kind of understand and know the ins and outs of some of these games to be promoting it yeah you know if i threw my sister up at you know midwest gaming classic now, PAX East is like 30 times as crazy as MGC. But if I, even if I put my sister at MGC and said, hey, or promote my game for me, she would look at me and she's like, what? <laughs> It'd be entertaining. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. But the quality of presentation and information, it would probably not be there. Hmm. And we're, we're hoping that Bo and I, as well as the retrotainment crew that's going to be there can do it justice. I'm sure you guys will do great. I know anytime I'm running around a show floor and I see anything that's like retro based that's actually running on an old console, I immediately stop. That might be a very particular situation for somebody like me, but that's the like mindset that I'm always in. Hey, I'll tell you what. I know Tim and Greg, they have good response everywhere they go. When I go to events, I have these two little, they're like miniature arcade cabinets and i take them there and you know i'll take a couple flat screens with like a top loader and an avs and and showcase games actually had magfest this last year on our way uh, we picked up a free sofa off the facebook marketplace huh. and uh set up a sofa with tvs in front of it and then tvs to the side of it the two cabinets were like at the end and then we had like a central table with like some flyers and business cards and some promotional stuff it works out pretty well we, we all work together and hmm. um, it's an experience but you know we get a decent amount of people kind of hovering around looking over people's shoulders seeing things and then i guess pax east is like seven or eight rows deep of people looking over each other's shoulders yeah and then packed with like press people there's so many press people at pax yeah there's a lot of like general public especially that are like local to boston yeah it's boston so that's my experience is there's 
I don't know, there's probably like a thousand or two thousand people there to like make content and then maybe a couple more of that number doing like business sort of stuff, like meeting with executives or, you know, getting together with companies that they want to meet in person. And then the other like percentage of it is just people that live in Boston that like games most of the time. Some people I'm sure fly in and out, but I'd say most of the people there are like Boston local. Yeah, or at least within a couple hours. Yeah, if I had a guess anyways, you know, people that are fairly close. Yeah, that, that's the way most of those are. And then you get, you know, some of the bigger names that come in and, and promote stuff. Like John Riggs, you know, John, yeah. he travels distances sometimes to go to these events and be on panels and all that kind of stuff. But he's, I would not necessarily consider John to be a general public. No, he's pretty niche as far as interest goes. Yeah, and actually, um, we'll probably be seeing something from John Riggs and John Hancock here in the near future as far as Astasura goes, too. Yeah, I know you mentioned that a couple of those carts are going out to some YouTubers, which is sweet, because I'll probably see that content and hopefully make some myself. I want to pull out the camera and see what all I can muster up for you. Yeah, there's a cart headed your way. Very cool. There's one going to Riggs. There's one going to Hancock. And actually, there's one going to a group called Pika Brews on YouTube, and they highlight and showcase some NES games also. A little bit smaller group so far. I'm not going to say they haven't gotten their feet on the ground yet, because, I mean, their videos and content's quality, uh, I just don't think they've gotten quite the press yet. I'll have to check them out. Yeah, they're pretty cool, and and they, they seem to be pretty cool guys. I think that networking aspect is really important, but what are your thoughts when it comes to marketing games? Like, how important is it to go to these shows and connect with these influencers compared to traditional marketing techniques? You know, everything, and I mean everything, is changing as far as marketing goes. I used to run a thrift shop just for fun. You know, we post on Craigslist, and then when Facebook Marketplace came out, we posted on Facebook Marketplace, and then we hung flyers. We partnered up with other local businesses to do cross-promotion stuff. And then everything changes when you get into the digital world, where, you know, I can post Estacero on the Kebbots Homebrew Highlights Facebook page, and not a lot of people are going to see it. Why? Because I think there's only like 180 people that are on my page or follow my page but then you you share it to some of the bigger facebook groups nintendo trading collectors 8-bit legit all those kind of facebook pages and then all of a sudden oh look it pops up on reddit oh here i found the original thread of astasero on nest dev from 2013 here let's necro bump that you know there's been some response there digipress retro collective Actually, they haven't approved my application to join their site yet. And then you have the paid advertising through Facebook. And then I actually ended up hopping on this other social media kind of promotion tool thing as well. But there's the digital side of things. And then there's the physical side of things where you're going to these expos. I'll I'll tell you, every single time I go to Midwest Game Classic or MAGFest, I'll, I'll bring out games that have been available for three or four years and people are like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And I, I never knew this was a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's cool. And check this one out. This is this is cornhole for the NES where you use beanbags and throw it on the power pad and, and you're playing cornhole. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's called Tailgate Party. Huh. I was, was just looking at that. It was released by... Orab Games, my buddy Tim Wardinger runs that. If you guys need a copy of Tailgate Party, I actually ended up buying his back stock out. That way I could continue to promote it at shows and 
and show huh. people. That's really cool. Yeah, it's and and you know we we all kind of, we all work together. We're, yeah. we all have the same goal. That's one of my favorite things so far about the NES homebrew community specifically is they're thinking outside of just a person with a controller. I've seen the Russian roulette game that uses the zapper. You say that there's a cornhole game that uses the power pad. I'm sure there are several that uses the power glove in a way that actually works. <laughs> Get this. Khan Games is coming out with Nescape. It's that escape room game. It uses a Super Nintendo mouse. What? Yeah. On an NES or a Super Nintendo? On a NES. What? You, you get this little NES to Super Nintendo controller adapter. Uh-huh. Con- Super Nintendo to NES controller adapter. I think I had that backwards. Yeah, it's it's a point-click game, and it uses a freaking Super Nintendo mouse, and it is awesome, and it that works. That is sick. And he's working on compatibility uh, right now, which I think he may have actually gotten figured out yesterday, for even some of the newer, and I'm going to completely space on what the name of these third-party companies are, but to use third party. Oh, like Hyperkin or something. Yeah, to use like a Hyperkin mouse. Yeah. Huh. So he's working on compatibility to use a Hyperkin mouse and, and some of these other third party things. That way more people can play. That is incredible. I love that kind of stuff. So I guess one of the things that I do want to, I've got two last questions for you. First of all, how, how can people get a hold of the modified Virtual Boy controller? Is it as simple as buying a, a like a crossover dongle? It and. Fortunately, is not. That was my worry. <laughs> yeah, we had looked into developing a crossover dongle. Right. The problem is you are using the female end of a Virtual Boy, the, the connector, which is uh, in this Virtual Boy console. And there's only one mold of that that we know of, and it's currently being used for a Virtual Boy to USB adapter and unfortunately they're a little more expensive than what we could use just to tear apart and modify further oh okay because i I know bo from soul goose productions had looked into um, doing an adapter because spookatron is also virtual boy controller compatible right it's not that hard to modify a virtual boy controller oh i'm sure that like a lot of that old technology has got a lot of space and everything kind of makes sense it is literally cutting four or five wires and splicing in the NES adapter or the NES controller cord. Oh, you just attach the like just a cord or the actual head, like chop off the head of a NES controller. Yeah, it, the the cord. Oh, just the whole cord, huh? Yeah, you just you, you take the uh, and and they're a lot longer than the Virtual Boy controller cords. It's another one of those weird consoles that I'd like to pick up one of these days. Oh, <laughs> I forgot to tell you, weirdest thing in my collection: the Games.com. That little handheld that's like a PDA. It sucks, but. I have one. <laughs> I don't think I know what the heck you're talking about. Exactly. I found it at a game store locally, and they're, I'm like, what the fuck is that thing? And they're like, oh, it's this weird handheld. I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to have it. <laughs> all right, give her, give her a try. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I am planning on making a tutorial video on how okay. to modify yeah. a Virtual Boy controller. It's, it's really not as difficult as what people think. I know when Bo modifies his, he takes those controller cord extensions and cuts the one end off of it and then just uses the wires off of that. Oh, okay, yeah. Which you can do. I've actually got a good handful of NES controllers here where the controller itself looks like garbage, but the cords are really nice. 
So <laughs> I've been, yeah, <laughs> I tell you what, I've, I can't tell you how many NES controllers I find where people have ripped like the black decal off of the front of it, or looks like someone's dog chewed around the entire bottom half of it. You don't need that part of it anyway to do the modification. A little bit of soldering would be beneficial if you know how to do that. But honestly, you probably could get away without even doing that. God, Virtual Boys are expensive, but the controllers are not so bad. No, I kind of put myself on a price limit when it comes to buying Virtual Boy controllers. I don't spend more than like $15 for one. Okay. But I mean, you can buy them on eBay, just the controllers. I think people are normally asking a little over 20 bucks for them. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at currently for current listings you know it's about 25 35 depending on who you can pick it up off of right another really fascinating thing of game design apparently some evil person put virtual boy emulation into vr headsets oh boy <laughs> that would be great yeah it is kind of cool but it would hurt <laughs> it would hurt a lot uh, i'll tell you what if you get a virtual boy make sure you get the manual with it yeah because it is hilarious. If you get the manual, and it's like a pretty decent sized book, like eight and a half by 11 book, and you, you turn the page, and the very first page is like nothing but red text, and it's all the safety warnings <laughs> from the virtual boy. It's do not let children under the age of seven play this, can cause temporary to permanent eye damage, and you know, do not play for more than 15 minutes at a time could cause hallucination <laughs> i'm just like oh my god are you kidding this me? is dangerous <laughs> this is hilarious <laughs> dangerous you're right this is this is dangerous let's go play mario tennis yeah i mean there's some cool titles in there but yeah i don't know the virtual boy it's crazy mario tennis is uh, i'll tell you what it came with every single virtual boy but it is the game to have and it has the best soundtrack for any mario game period cool hmm. i said it there it is. I said it. I love it. That's Get your Spotify's ready, boys. <laughs> We're in for a good one. We're in for a good one here. I mean, I'm going to express all sorts of unpopular opinions. <laughs> I think unpopular opinions are, make, make them the most interesting. Because then it's like, oh, there's something that I never had thought of. Now when I sit down to work, I'm going to pull up the soundtrack to Mario Tennis on the fucking Virtual Boy and possibly have a good day. <laughs> And you're gonna listen to it, and you're gonna understand why, and you're gonna you're gonna agree with me. I'm I'm telling you right now. Twenty minutes later, there'll be that just standard Earl Hickey like hmm from uh, My Name Is Earl. <laughs> yep. Oh, and the man. end the end of this podcast is probably gonna end in in the Mario Tennis. It will now. <laughs> <laughs> now it will. What a great idea that I'm going to steal. <laughs> So my last question for you, man, is how'd you really get into game publishing and what does that process even look like? Because we've talked about the like long-term goals of Forever Classic Games as a brand and publishing is something that's come up in the conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, I it's kind of hard to, to say exactly where things started as far as me publishing and starting the KevBots Humber highlights. I started with the reproductions. Now, hmm. desoldering the CPU and PPU off of a NES Ford. CPU, now that's program ROM and character ROM. But, you know, learned how to do that. And then, oh, look, I can rip these 28-pin EPROMs and then just stick them right here on this NROM board and, and, and it plays a completely different game. And then you get into the more advanced where, okay, now I can do a 32-pin swap, but then I have to bend these four legs of the 32-pin EPROM up and I have to jump this solder 
to this leg and, and then you get into some of the more complicated stuff, but I'll, I'll tell you where I got started. Um, and you'll, you'll probably want to bleep out some of this. Yeah. Um, there was a game that was developed called cornball cocksuckers. All right. <laughs> on Nintendo age. And it was based off of the Nintendo age thread where this fella named fiery rain came on and lost his cool because uh, his, want to buy thread or something kept getting locked or trashed or whatever yeah. happens. it happens on internet forums and uh, he called everybody a cornball cocksucker you know you guys are the <laughs> capitalist pigs of the gaming community the popo of the interwebs you know wh- whatever y'all y'all are this terrible thing well uh, a fellow in switzerland antoine or, or vec on nintendo age he thought it was hilarious and programmed a game where you are a cornball at the bottom of the screen and you are catching wieners that fall from the top of the screen <laughs> all, and this all, was one of the first games you put on cartridge it is it, it is um you know, you shoot the police you dodge these capitalist pigs and when you get to the bonus stage you jack off to the game fire and ice <laughs> um anyway that is kind of incredible it, it's like, that is ultimate level trolling it is hilarious and <laughs> vec had asked somebody if they could put a game on an Enron board for one of his previous games, which I helped him out with. That was Kami Killer. That ended up getting overlooked by this next game that was kind of on a whim. I ended up, we did limited edition run of 10 cartridges and those sold it very well, much higher than I think they should have ever gone. Hmm. But that funded a 100 cart run for Cornball Cocksuckers. (laughs) These things are out there. They're in people's collections. Well, uh, I've got one better for you. (laughs) So we did the 100 cart run. I was using donor boards, donor shells, basically hand making each one for the limited edition. And then on the regular, the 100 cart, we ended up using INL Enron boards because they were so much easier to just flash it and be done with it. I still use donor shells for those, but we sold all those. And then I was going to expos and stuff at that point, taking these homebrew highlights cabs out there. And and I I wanted to continue to make copies of Cornball. So I I bought the rights off of VEC for it. So I actually own the game Cornball Cocksuckers (laughs) and kept making and, and selling some of those and then ended up doing a complete revamp on it about a year and a half or so ago using these translucent yellow shells and whole new label. And I, I continue to sell some of those too. Hmm. Um, but since then I've you know helped with some other releases as far as some smaller ones that were released here and there, like Kevin power. It's a driving game where you cut these games all sound so terrible. You run over old geezers and dodge the police and run over baby strollers. Oh um, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I uh, ended up helping with that release, ended up helping Bo Soul Goose Productions with making some of the limited edition parts to Zero to X, and then helping with some of the beta testing for games. And basically, a lot of it comes down to being involved with the community. You know, okay. It doesn't take much to get involved. It's a pretty open community. People who want to be in it are in it. They hang around. They'll come to the events. They'll offer to help here or there. So, you know, a lot of 
what's gotten me into it is these small projects that have led up to Candelabra Stasero and really just being a part of the community, being friends with some of the guys. I release a Halloween scare cart every year. 2018 ended up having some technical issues with the ROM, so we actually missed 2018. But 2015, 16, and 17, it's the Halloween scare cart, and it is basically a game that you play until the jump screen pops up. Oh, nice. (laughs) And scares the bejesus out of whoever was playing it just fun little projects here and there that you do publishing is it's a labor of love it's not i don't want to say it's easy because it has its challenges certainly but for some of the smaller releases my buddy aaron and i were making our own boxes our own labels our own manuals we were buying the brand new shells or using donor shells and now for estacero we're we're hiring out all the box production because manually cutting out however many boxes we need is really not all that enjoyable. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we've got tools to do it. He's got a nice printer, a laminator, one of the die cutters, you know, so it's advanced quite a bit from where we started and we'll still do small runs like the demo cartridges that are being sent out. Aaron just, you know, we printed off handful of labels to go on those cartridges oh okay so yeah the one that you're getting it's the actual label except the top of the label says candelabra stasero demo cartridge instead of hmm. candelabra stasero and then you're going to get a blank well i don't want to say blank it's a gray shell donor with a label on it there's no board in that one that way if you get if you do decide to do some kind of little video you can show that it's on a yellow cartridge or a gray one oh yeah 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 huh all right yeah it's just you know Selling it in a yellow and a gray shell, making it available in both of those was a decision that was actually recommended by Tim from Retrotainment because I like the yellow ones. Right. Just something different to shake up the shelf for people that are putting them on their collections. Right. Right. So I, I like the different colored ones. A lot of people like the traditional gray ones. The black box trio that's available on Kickstarter. You have the option for both. A lot of people really like the gray standard release of the black box series they think it's more of a collectible i guess niche yeah of being black box right there's guys that do nothing but black box reproduction releases and they've pretty well mastered some of that stuff very cool it's fun just gotta if if you're gonna get into it just get into it and do it start somewhere small and work your way up if you've got questions, there's a huge community that's willing to help. Awesome. Yeah, that's something that we've definitely thought about if, you know, things pick up and we want to actually move it into a place where we don't have to work day jobs. We can actually just do this kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah. It's the the hope and dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I tell you, there's there's a lot of work to it. Oh, yeah. There are guys that do this as full-time jobs, and it's not easy. Bo Solgus Productions has worked on trying to get that as a full-time gig as well. He is also doing some writing for books. Like Retro Retro USB has a book about the AVS out that was written by Bo. And then there is going to be a, and Bo is a perfectionist, just so you guys know. There is going to be a book coming out that is the history of NES homebrewing. Oh, that's awesome. Mm. I have to pick up that. It is going to be the most comprehensive and complete book to date and i can guarantee that because bo has basically dedicated everything to nes homebrewing the dedication is there and he is a good writer and it's going to be an awesome book now there is a book out already it's one of jeffrey wittenhagen's or 
uh, Hagen's Alley book about NES homebrews, and it's a good book as well. Kind of has like a collection tool vibe to it also, where you can kind of like check mark what you do and don't have. Like what are the searchable things for each of the books? You know what? Bo's book is not, I don't think it's even, I don't want to say it hasn't been announced, but I don't think that's even close to being promoted yet. Oh, okay. Because I was in the SNES Omnibus that came out recently, and Volume 2, I think, comes out this month. Oh, were you? So, like, game history writing is something I absolutely adore here recently. Okay, yeah. It's called Hagen's Alley Books. Actually, he has a website for it. He's got a complete SNES, NES Oddities, and the Homebrew Revolution. That one's on there as well. NES Compendium, and then a Hidden Game Gems. Um, Those are all on his site, and actually, I can... I'll just send this to you. Very cool. Make, make that a little more convenient for you. Kevin, I do thank you for hanging out and talking with us. I know. No, no, NES, I, I appreciate it, guys. NES Homebrew is something that I'm completely fascinated by, and I love the ROM hacking scene, especially with like the Mario crew. It's just something that I really enjoy, and I cannot wait to check out the actual demo cartridge and yeah. put it to test on an actual NES. I've got a game store I used to work for down the road, and I already messaged the owner and was like, hey, this is a thing that we're going to do here soon. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> hey, that's cool. The cartridge that you were getting is only the first level. Right, okay. And you're going to probably bounce around through the maze for a while before you find the exit. I'm going to tell you right now that it takes a little getting used to for the controls. But once you understand what you're doing, it feels natural. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. I think that it's a super cool control scheme. And I'm, I really want to check out Smash TV now because I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> you should. I've got an extra cartridge of it here, actually. I, if, I'd, if I'd have known that you had never played it before, I probably would have tossed this thing in the box, too. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I look at the shelves, we have a huge collection at the Game On store here. And, like, the NES collection is really starting to get big. So I'll, I'll make sure that we don't have a Smash TV. It's not an expensive game. I mean, Smash yeah. TVs, I think the last one I bought was like 6 or $7. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. The thing about Smash TV, and the reason I have multiple copies is I had such a hard time finding a copy that was in decent condition because the label quality was just garbage. It's like the Majesco releases for the Super Nintendo. Oh, no. <laughs> where, where they're like, they fade and they tear. And yeah, the Smash TV label quality is complete and utter garbage but you'll find one and it's it's awesome it's yeah it's one of my favorite nes games i'm really excited to sit down and spend some time with these dual control situations so good luck at pax east tell tim and the boys i said hello and that we would love to have him on the forever classic podcast me and tim's talked about having him on for full quiet specifically oh have you yeah yeah full quiet's gonna be awesome i'm pretty excited that is a sweet looking game uh you probably haven't been to any of the expos where they were showcasing full quiet no that was announced I think like at the end of the year, the the one year I went to PAX or something. Oh, uh, was it? It's completely different from what you would expect out of them, but it's excellently executed. And I know they've they've had some hiccups along the way. I have fingers crossed for horror. I, I'm really thinking that it could be a horror game, and I'm just like into that. <laughs> <laughs> it's dark. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited. But yeah, anyways, thanks for hanging out with us, Kevin. Zach, do you have any closing thoughts for us? Kevin, I'm super amazed that you're a nurse by day and that you can still do and get into all of this stuff outside of everything it's fantastic and you do great work and this conversation has been so fun this whole time i know i've been pretty quiet since the beginning but most of it i've not been able to you know contribute a lot to but i'm 
everything you all have talked about is just exciting to hear, and I really do wish you a lot of luck at PAX. It's going to be fun. At some point, you all were talking about your long trip that you're going to have up there, and I was thinking, man, everybody's going to nerd out for like an hour and then figure out how to sleep on each other for the next 13. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, Tim's got a decent-sized truck, but uh, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> There's going to be some indirect or direct cuddling. <laughs> uh, there, you know what? I've crashed with these fellas at events in different states and different hotel rooms and you know what we make do we're a close group of guys and and there's a reason i asked tim for help with things and there's there's a reason that tim asks me for help with things like like going to pax in boston it's pretty great experience i'm really excited to get back into it sometime soon might be a little hard from alaska yeah it's you know that's why i'm thinking seattle is going to be the next thing i go into because it's like an hour flight it's not bad oh no that's not too bad i'm in juno it's like super mild super south alaska (laughs) is it okay yeah Yeah, so if people wanted to find you on the internet, Kevin, how would they get a hold of your work? The kind of hub that I've been using is the KevBots Homebrew Highlights Facebook page. It's K3VBOT, apostrophe S, Homebrew Highlights. If you search it on the interwebs, it's like facebook.com slash KevBotGames. Not sure how that happened, but yeah, that's where I post most of my updates. I'd been posting updates on some of the other projects that are coming out, like Nebs and Debs, which was a Kickstarter that I supported when I got a copy of their game in the mail, posted that. I've been posting little updates here and there about K-Hand Games Nescape, which actually some big updates are coming out soon, but I've been kind of focused on the Astasura aspect of everything. That's kind of where I post everything. I'm also on Nintendo Age, which is also a way that you could get a hold of me there. Very cool. That's pretty much it. All right, Zach, and where might we find you? Of course, I'm everywhere on the internet as Exquisite Liar, all one word, with exception of Twitter. It is Exquisite underscore Liar there. And I am very similar. You can look up Forever Classic 105 on just about any platform. If you are on Twitter, though, replace the F-O-R with the number 4. You can also check out the Forever Classic Games official social medias, and usually you can get it by looking just for Forever Classic Games. But on Twitter, it's Forever X Classic, because somebody already had Forever Classic Games. (laughs) Oh, nice. I think. I don't know. There was some reason I had to put an X in there, but regardless, I was like, man, I want that. (laughs) We also have a website, foreverclassicgames.com. That has been getting a couple updates. I just put out the Onimusha Retrospect that I saved from disappearance because it was on retrovideogamer.uk and they switched websites, something to do with an upgrade. They lost that original huge post and I was like, I've still got this. I'll post it on my website if it's all the same to you guys. They're like, yeah, sure. So that's available now. It's got some sweet new screenshots on it, about the best I can muster. There will be a Onimusha kind of rant and rave that'll be up on our official YouTube channel here soon. I actually just need to set that to upload and it's ready to go. It's just me talking about how cool Onimusha is. And if you do feel like supporting us, you can always check us out on Patreon. Just look for Forever Classic Games on Patreon and you will find us. Right now we only have, I think, the one supporter, and that would be Legend of Moriad. Thank you very much for doing that, bud. I know you've been one of the early supporters for us, and I'm really excited to make some things that you enjoy. Other than that, of course, you can always find us 
here in the podcast world at iTunes, Spotify now, which is really exciting, and maybe a couple others. I do believe we're still on the Google Play Store, but I haven't looked in a while. Yeah, you can use pretty much any raw app on a phone for podcasts now and kind of find us somewhere. It will direct you to one of these things if we're not on that raw service itself. Yeah, we're all over the place. We try to be. Yeah, we're, we're getting out there. If we're not there, we're, we're looking into it. And we do, of course, all have Twitch channels. You can find us there streaming some sweet games. And yeah, thank you everybody for listening. As always, be good to each other and stay cool.